Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Hello, once again, this is Michael Adams from Nothing But The Truth. It's still March the 6th, 2015. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, we're going to do part two of analyzing Schofield. And once again, another section is called Schofield's Notes, answered by Charles Gilberts Weston. And it's from Schofield's Reference Bible 7. 1917 to 1967 editions. <clears throat> All right. Hopefully we can pull this off. I just, excuse me, spent two hours talking. <laughs> but I have nothing else better to do, so might as well try to plug along and try to get this done. <clears throat> And here we go. As a very young Bible school teacher, I obtained books on Christian life principles of interpretation, doctrine, and prophecy that were duly approved in fundamentalist circles. I also was given a copy of 1917's uh, Schofield Reference Bible. I ran into problems of squaring what they taught with what I was learning as I studied and taught the scriptures. Now I am 80, I'm past 80, having studied, ministered, and taught for 64 years around the world. Many others have helped and still help me. Please hear some scriptures bearing on biblical interpretation that must be clarified. First <clears throat> Samuel 2, 30. Wherefore the Lord God of Israel saith, I said indeed that thy house and thy and thy the house of thy father uh, and the house of thy father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord saith, Be it far from me, for them that honor me I will honor, and they that despise me shall be esteemed. Definitely forever does not mean unconditionally. We see God's promises are conditioned by his person and sovereignty. Then we realize that if a so-called unconditional promise could be made, it would nullify God's sovereignty, an absolute impossibility. So any claim of this or that promise being unconditional is false. God says, if thou wilt, then I will. There is always an if. See, also, this is like... Uh, 
Jeremiah 18, uh, verses 5 through 10, quoting 7 through 10. At what instance shall I speak concerning a nation, concerning a kingdom, to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it? If that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. And that what uh, and that what in, instance I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it. If it do evil in my sight, that it not obey my voice, then I will repent of the good and be with, I say, would benefit them. Excuse me. Let me repart. And then I will repent of the good wherewith I said I would benefit them. These words spoken to Israel were applicable to Israel as a nation. It totally eliminates all so-called unconditional promises and prophecies to Israel or to any nation. God is no respecter of persons or nations, but it is just and fair to do all alike with abundant mercy to all who call upon him in truth. Hope was not blotted out despite the destiny prophesied for the carnal apostates. Isaiah 5, verses 1 through 14. Any person who would repent could find mercy and blessing with the godly uh, remnant. Isaiah 1, verses 16 through 20. Joel 2, 32. Furthermore, God promised a sure attainment of the promises of Exodus 19, 5 and 6, or 5 through 6, <clears throat> he would make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Jeremiah 31, 31, and, and verses 34 through 37. The Lord spoke of his remnant, and uh, I think it's Malachi uh, 3, 6 through 17. They shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, when I make up my jewels. Some uh, uh, peculiar treasures, and uh, it says Hebrew, Segola. And that Segola is C E. G-U-L-A-H as at Exodus 19, 5-6. The same remnant of Isaiah 10, 22-23 and Hosea 1, 10 and 2, 23 spoken of by Jesus at John 1, 11-13 by Paul at Roman 9, 23-26 by Peter at First Peter 2, verses 3, and I believe it means 9 and 10. Uh, these who love God continually honor the Lord of the new covenant as the Lord taught them. Luke 22, verses 19 and 20, and as Paul taught in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 
and 26, For the promised seed gave himself for whosoever, for the Jews first and also for the Gentiles. And then and it has, uh, looks like Genesis uh, 22, verse 18, John 3, 16, Galatians 3, 8 through 16, and 19, excuse me, and 29, Hebrew uh, 8, 6 through 13, 9, 15, and 12, 22 through 28. Now we have moved scripturally and in boundaries of apostolic principle so far and have stepped on the toes of some holy unintended errors. Jesus, the impregnable rock of the new covenant, may not be chipped, altered, moved, obscured, or ignored without disastrous consequences. His ministry was to bring this new covenant. And... uh, I don't know if I want to quote all these verses, but I will. Isaiah twenty, Isaiah forty-two six, forty-nine eight, Jeremiah thirty-one verses thirty-one through thirty-seven, Malachi three one through two, Matthew twenty-four thirty-five. Bring the fullness of divine revelation. John eight forty-seven, Deuteronomy eighteen eighteen through nineteen, Acts three. 22 through 23, Moses' great prophecy emphasizes that Christ would bring the fullness of the Word of God. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, and comparable is comparable to Moses' prophecy. In Deuteronomy 18, 18, God says, "I will put my word in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him." Then Peter declares that whoever will not hear him, shall be destroyed from among the people. Acts 3, uh, verses 23. And Paul says, If any man teaches otherwise and consents not to the works, excuse me, to the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, he is proud, knowing nothing, destitute of the truth, for such withdraw thyself. First, uh, I think it's Timothy 6 through... Uh, verses 3 through 5. Consider Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Any omission or variation of his word is a departure from the truth, the way, and we fear from life itself. And then it's... I think it's... Uh, Colossians 2, 8, 8 and 9, uh, Titus uh, 1, uh, 9 through 11, 14, 1 Timothy 3, uh, 3 through 4 and 7, 2 Timothy 4, verses 2 through 4. The list of scripture passages that are ignored, resisted, twisted, shaded, perverted, brushed by or veiled by a diversionary notes is a testimony against the content of the preaching and the Bible teaching of the 20th century, including the creeds and dogma on which it may seek to justify itself. Men today, as the Pharisees did, are doing these things to Christ. When men preach a doctrine that finds no room for a full, clear presentation, 
of Matthew 13, verses 36 through 43, and Acts 3, verses 22 and 23, then they are committing that very sin. And when they build a doctrine that has no room for the full meaning of first, excuse me, Second Peter three, Romans um, eight, verses eighteen through twenty-three, and Second Thessalonians one six through ten, then they have built a false doctrine for itching ears. When men begin to teach the truth in God's word and realize that to confess it would cost money, job, esteem, and leadership, and fail to take a stand for truth, then they, too, have joined the Pharisees with their vested interests. Every sin mentioned here is rampant in our time. I have often spoke against the Schofield's reference Bible notes as being an abomination and advised students against using a Schofield Bible lest their minds be affected because of the evil heresies it contains. Such statements must be substantiated or the person who makes them uh, repudiated. Some persons are so wedded to the error and so blinded by it that they will receive no teaching, but Jesus said, why call me Lord, Lord, and, and do not the things that I say? Luke six forty eight. Not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Matthew seven twenty one. The true Bible study takes time. Excuse me. True Bible study takes time, labor, careful faithful attention to what a writer is saying without trying to make him say what we want him to say. Teaching in the Old Testament was veiled and much could not be understood until the Messiah came. The New Testament writers removed the veil for us. They taught the whole revealed will of God. Many teachers today are teaching doctrines of apostles, teaching doctrines the apostles did not teach and some which they thoroughly condemned. The dispensational scheme of Schofield picked up from others divided time into seven dispensations during which time then is tested, he said, in respect to or respect of obedience to some specific revelation of the will of God. He lists seven periods of time. Innocence, the creation to the fall. Um, conscience, the fall to the flood. Human government, from the flood to Abraham, promise. Abraham to giving the law to uh, Sinai. Five, law of Sinai to the cross of Christ. Six, grace from death of Christ to the judgment and revelations. Seven, kingdom, the last of the ordered ages, the time Christ will restore the Davidic kingdom and reign 1,000 years. This is Schofield's teaching, not the Bible. He gives no scriptural authority, for there is none to be given. These divisions are arbitrary, and they all overlap. God made a promise in Eden 
of the coming one, Adam, had a conscience for he hid after he disobeyed. No one can be saved apart from God's grace in any age. In the Bible, the word, okay, this is going to be one, oikonomia, O-C, O-I-K, let me try this again, O-I-K-O-N-O-M-I-A means stewardship, i.e., give account of thy stewardship. And Luke 16, 2, 12, 3, Colossians 1, verse 15. Instead, God dealt with his people by seven covenants. First, uh, uh, you'll see, I'm to say this right, Eden, Edonic, a charge and a test. Uh, Genesis 1, 26 through 31. Then the second one is Adamic. Of course, these are the seven covenants, right? So covenant two, Adamic, entry of sin required a hope and a discipline. Genesis, um, the third covenant, Noeg, uh, the a new start and a promise of the seed of, of a woman. Genesis 6, 3, 9, verses 1 through 17. Then the next covenant is the Abrahamic, a series of revelations to Abraham make up the covenants. And then it has Genesis 12, 1 through 3, 13, 14 through 17, 15, 1 through 21, 17, 1 through 27, 18, 1 through 53, 21, 1 through 13, 22, 1 through 18. The Mosaic covenant is next, number five. This covenant was written and dedicated with blood. Exodus 19, 1 through 9, 20, 1 through 22, 24, 1 through 18, Deuteronomy 5, verses 2 through 5. The next covenant is Davianic. And I didn't say that right. Supposed to be Davidic. <laughs> Second uh, Samuel seven verses ten through seventeen, and uh, major portion found in Psalm sixteen twenty two, uh, eighty nine verses three through four, thirty seven thirty thirty four thirty seven, one hundred and ten verses one through four, and finally the seventh covenant, the new covenant in our Lord, and then it gives Matthew twenty five. 26 to 28, Luke 22, 20, John 12, 47 through 50, 46, um, Hebrew 1, 1 through 3, 2, 1 through 4, 4, 16, Hebrew 5, 9 through 10, and 12, 22 through 28, Romans 14, 9, 10, 9, Acts 2, 33, Ephesians 4, 8, First Timothy two five, from these, from the seven covenants by Charles G. Weston. About Abrus Peters, the Piters with P I T E R, wrote about Schofield's Bible in 1938. He said it was one of the most dangerous books on the market. Schofield's basic errors. First, he disregards the witness, the doctrines, and examples of interpretation of the Old 
Old Testament that are given us by the apostles in the New Testament. Two, he usurps apostolic authority by contradicting their clear teaching and so setting himself above them. Three, he makes false statements exactly opposite to known facts to support his false doctrine. Four, the greatest reigning error of this century is his teaching that promises a millennial kingdom on earth after Christ returns for his church. Romans 8, uh, verses 18 through 23. Five, that the church was not foreseen and that the prophets never prophesied of the church. Isaiah 51, 54, verse 1, Hosea 1, verses 9 through 10, 223, Galatians 4, uh, verses 21 and 30, Romans 12, 9, verses 22 through 26, 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. The leaven of these teachings has permeated everything excuse me, everywhere, even where his notes are unknown. For proof to back up my accusations, see the following. Schofield note. Okay, SRB 119 and, excuse me, this would be 1917 and 1967 from the introduction of the four Gospels. Quote, all Gospels recorded, record, Christ's offer for himself as king. Answer to his claim. The statement is plainly false. Nowhere does Jesus ever suggest in the faintest way that he is waiting for a popular or national approval to establish his kingdom or to be an earthly king. John sixteen fifteen, when Jesus perceived that they would come to take him by force to make him a king, he departed. His offer of the kingdom is the same he made to Nicodemus at the beginning of his ministry. Quote, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. John 3.3. 3. Also, John 3.4. John 3.14-16. Take it and... and and be saved, neglected, and be lost. Next, Schofield note, SRB, 1917 and 1967, on Matthew 4:17. Uh, At hand is never a positive affirmation that a that the person or thing said to be at hand will immediately appear, but only that no known or predicted event must intervene. The verses read, from that time Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Answer, Schofield is speaking pompous nonsense. Uh, Mark one fifteen reads, the time is fulfilled for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent ye and believe in the gospel. The scripture gives us plainly an example as to what the term at hand means. In Matthew twenty six forty six, Jesus said, He that betrayeth me is at hand. And while he was yet speaking, Judas came and kissed him and betrayed him. At hand means something within your reach. So the scriptures use it 
continually. Scofield notes SRB's 1917-1967 on Matthew 4.17 what Christ appeared to the Jewish people the next time excuse me, when Christ appears to the Jewish people the next time in the order of revelation as it is as it then stood, should have been the setting up of the Davidic excuse me, kingdom in the knowledge of God not yet disclosed. Lay the rejection of the kingdom and the king, the long period of the mystery form kingdom, I like that, the mystery form kingdom, the worldwide preaching of the cross, and I don't like it in the mean that I literally like it. I mean, like, that's really suspect how he's still saying it. Uh, worldwide preaching of the cross and outcalling of the church. But this was as yet locked up in the secret council of God. Then he gives Matthew thirteen eleven and verses 17, Ephesians 3, 3 through 10. Answer the first statement. When Christ first appeared to the Jewish people, when Christ first appeared to the Jewish people, the next thing should have been the setting up of the kingdom. That's quotes. Is an error of the Pharisees. That Christ should appear as a mighty warrior conquering the world for Israel and setting up such a kingdom on earth. Schofield notes reveal that he that revealed this as he understood his understanding of the kingdom he declares that it was it excuse me that's right he declares that it that that is what should have been occurring to the revelation to the point nothing could be further from the truth that is absolute heresy Israel clinging to false hope lost everything in AD 70 Schofield falsely assumed that the Davidic covenant prophesied a worldly, an earthly enthronement of Christ upon the throne of David with Jews ruling over all. <clears throat> the first year of Christ's ministry is given in the first four chapters of John. In John 3, verses 1 and 2, we read, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Who, ca- who, ca- who came? Question mark. Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, a member of the Sanhedrin. He came by night to talk with Jesus alone. The Sanhedrin knew that Jesus was a teacher come from God. What then was on their minds? The Messiah? They were looking for the kingdom. They knew the prophecy that the Messiah should come 490 years or so after the commandments to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. It was now time for Messiah to appear. That is why they sent inquirers to John the Baptist and why Nicodemus came to question the Lord. 
Interesting. Jesus answered him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? And Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. John 3, verses 5 through 7. That was the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And at its very beginning, he was preaching the kingdom. What kind? A kingdom with a sword rattling warrior messiah? Question mark. And it says, no way. (laughs) And messiah who will be lifted up as Moses lifted up a serpent in the wilderness, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Praise the Lord. Oh, goodness. Something to really look forward to. John 3, 14 through 15. Uh, and it says, in quotes, You mean the Jews can't see the kingdom of God unless they are born again? Nicodemus? You are a Jewish flesh, a member of the Sanhedrin, a Pharisee. Your Mosaic religion, Abrahamic descent, your Jewish flesh, with all its pride, none of it can get you into the kingdom of God, only the new birth, end the quote. This is the kingdom that Jesus preached from the beginning of his ministry. But Schofield twists things up to make it appear Jesus was preaching the Pharisees' earthly kingdom. <clears throat> Look at the second statement where Schofield says, <clears throat> In the knowledge of God, not yet disclosed, lay the rejection of the kingdom and king. Schofield therefore denies great and clear prophecy where the rejection, crucifixion, death, and burial, resurrection, and enthronement of God and glory are all set forth. And then he gives uh, Isaiah 53, Psalms 2, Psalms 16, verses 8 through 11, Psalms 110, 1 through 4. Was he totally ignorant of these wonderful prophecies? The third statement reads, the long period of mystery formed kingdom, the worldwide preaching of the cross and outcalling of the church, but this was as yet locked up in the secret councils of God. Using mystery in this context defines it as something beyond our knowing in this age. Jesus spoke to this age in Matthew thirteen eleven, saying, It is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Mark says, Unto you is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Mark four eleven. The prophets caught the reality of the messianic of the messianic, that is the Christian age, for example, 1 Peter 1, 12, unto whom it was revealed. Also David, Acts 2, 25-31, and Moses, Acts 3, 22-33. 22 
and 23. Concerning Israel and Peter and Paul, Acts 3, 24, uh, with uh, 26, Acts 26, verses 22 and 23. Christ unveiled the mystery of the kingdom for this age. Schofield note, SRB, 1917 on Matthew 6:33 The kingdom of God is to be distinguished from the kingdom of heaven part 4 The kingdom of God is chiefly that which is inward and spiritual while the kingdom of heaven is organic and is to be manifest in glory on the earth Schofield implies that one does not enter the kingdom of heaven by being born again this is required only for entering the kingdom of God. See also Schofield's note, SRB 1917 and 1967, and 1 Corinthians 15, 24, part 4. Answer, such a view causes more problems. Jesus said, except ye be converted, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 18.3, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. John 3.3, 3. the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are one and the same. So Schofield's trying to say it's something different. Or he tried to. <clears throat> Schofield note, SRB 1917 and 1967 on Matthew 11.11, 11, John the Baptist was a as great morally as any man born of a woman, but as to the kingdom, he is but announced it at hand. The kingdom did not then come, but was rejected, and John was martyred, and the king presently crucified. The least in the kingdom, when it is set up in glory, will be in the fullness of power and glory. It is not heaven which is in question, but Messiah's kingdom. Answer, Schofield here, as often, makes anti-Christian Israel sovereign over God, as if their opposition spoiled God's plans and purpose and kingdom had to be postponed. What impossible nonsense. See Isaiah 46.10. Schofield note, SRB, 1967 on John 1836. My kingdom is not of this world. This verse has erroneously been taken to mean that Christ was disavowing that his kingdom would be established on earth. Answer. Read, uh, looks like Ephesians 1, 19 through 23, which shows this Schofield teaching is utterly false. This is God's description of Christ's present exaltation. It is described again in uh, PHP uh, 2, 9-10, First Timothy 6, 15-17, and Matthew 28-18. Schofield notes. SRB 1917-1967 on Matthew 11-28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The new message of Jesus, the rejected king, now turns from the rejected nation 
and offers not the kingdom but rest and service to such in the nation as our conscience of need. It is pivotal point in the ministry of Jesus. 1917. Answer Matthew 11:28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest and take. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. How beautifully these words fit together with the very beginning of Jesus' message. These blessings are for those who are born again, finding rest in the loving care of Jesus. In the old Israel, when Jews said the Shema, or Shema, uh, it was their formula for taking the yoke of the kingdom. And then it says, Life and Times of Jesus, page 267, paragraph 3, by Abersham. Take my yoke in Jewish context means entering the kingdom. Jesus never changed his message. Scofield overlooked verse uh, uh, Matthew eleven twenty seven. Jesus said, "All things are delivered unto me by my Father." Also in Matthew twenty eight eighteen, all authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. He is speaking of his kinship. Uh, Psalms two uh, uh, six or seven Acts thirteen thirty three. What is he saying? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest unto your souls. You will have to enter into the kingdom that cannot be moved. I am able to to care for you. All things are delivered into my hands. Scofield says the new message the rejected king now turns from the rejecting nations and offers not the kingdom but rest and service to all who are in conscious need of his help. <clears throat> in Matthew 12, Jesus healed a man deaf, blind, possessed by a devil, and all the people were amazed and said, Is this not the son of David, the king? <clears throat> If he had withdrawn the offer of the kingdom, why would the kingdom be so much on the people's minds? But the Pharisees said, This fellow does not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. What disturbed the Pharisees? These people were getting the idea that Jesus was indeed the king. They didn't like it. So they smeared the name of Jesus, saying that he was possessed of de the devil. And Jesus said, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city and house divided against itself cannot stand. If Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself now. Excuse me, himself. How then shall his kingdom stand? If I be Beelzebub, cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come unto you.
Amazing. Casting out devils manifested authority over Satan's realm. This must indeed be the Messiah the people thought. Is not this the son of David? How that disturbed the Pharisees with their idea of a warrior king. They didn't want anything like this. The kingdom was not waiting to come. It had not been postponed to the millennium. It was there and in an and in action, then and if they could believe and accept it, they could be born into the kingdom. Jesus never changed his meshes. They did kill the king, but three days later, God gave him his eternal throne. Revelations 1 through uh, verses 4 through 6 is the present kingdom. Matthew 28, 18, Psalms 16, 8 through 11, we know he arrived in heaven because he sent his Holy Spirit back. The true representative, that which is in place of Christ, no Pope, the Holy Spirit. John 7, 39, uh, Psalms 10, 1 through 4. Schofield notes, SRB 1917 and 1967 on Matthew 3:2, the kingdom of heaven signifies the messianic earth rule of Jesus Christ. And just nine, the kingdom of heaven will be realized in the future millennial kingdom. That's where all this millennial is. The answer is heresy. Jesus told Pilate, "My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then." Would my servants fight? My, his kingdom is of the new creation. Peter in Acts 2, verses 20 through 26, and Paul in Acts 13, 22 to 33 and 47, their first recorded sermons make it clear that the Davidic, the Davidic covenant is fulfilled with its accompanying Messianic Psalms uh, looks like Psalms 2 and uh, 110.1 verse 1. Paul comments on 110.1 and 1 Corinthians 15.24.26 showing Christ in his present accession ac work working from his heavenly throne conquering every enemy. There is no honest teaching that would bring that throne to earth for the Father says it is in heaven and the Son is to sit there until he puts all enemies under his feet. And Psalms 10.2 indicates that he has enemies in Zion. Those wedded to the millennial heresy seem to be capable of any atrocity against the word of God and humanity for that matter. <clears throat> to try to support that teaching, even if scripture has to be flatly contradicted to fit it. Schofield note, SRB 1917-1967 on Matthew 8, verses 11 and 12, he has no note on these verses. And I said unto you 
that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the children of the kingdom shall be cast into utter darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Answer the verse. Verses are Jesus' tremendous prophecy of the fate of Israel at his second coming. Schofield ignores it and teaches just the opposite elsewhere. These scriptures show all the evil persons burning in hellfire and all the saved ones in the glory of God's kingdom. Luke 13, 24-28. Schofield flatly denies this. And the word of Matthew 13, 37-43, he says, No, the millennium comes next, and the judgment pictured here is 1,000 years later. <clears throat> and all these contradictions, he is contradicting him, is contradicting him who he calls Lord. For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Matthew 16, verse 27. The final day of judgment is at the end of this age, the end of all things of this fallen creation. Schofield note, SRB 1917-1967, on Romans 11, 1-6, last paragraph, that the Christian now inherits the distinctive Jewish promise is not taught in Scripture. The Christians... Christian is of the heavenly seed of Abraham and partakes of the spiritual blessings of Abraham covenant, but the, but Israel is a nation always has its own place and is yet to have its greatest exaltation as the earthly people of God. Uh-huh. Zionism, the state of Israel which is not found in the Bible. Schofield notes, uh, SRB 1917-1967, Romans 11:26, last paragraph, according to the prophets, Israel regarded, regathered from all nations, restored to her own land and converted, is yet to have her greatest earthly exaltation and glory. Answer, this is the millennium of the Pharisees, not of the Bible. It contradicts the plain prophecy of Jesus himself. Israel's only hope in Romans 11, Paul says, is they, they were cast away because of unbelief. But verse 23 says, If they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. See Israel's end as in Jeremiah 23, verses uh, 39 through and 40, and then chapter 24, 9 and 10, and 29, 10 and 11, and Isaiah 65, 1 through 15. Israel, after the flesh, is not an heir of God, never ever will be. Israel is cast out. 1 Corinthians 15, 50. The flesh and blood cannot inherit. Galatians Four twenty one thirty says, shall not be heirs with. See also Second Thessalonians one verses six and ten. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. 
when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fires taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe. So also Luke seventeen twenty six and 27, Matthew 24, 35 through 39. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate and they drank and they married wives and they were given in, in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Why not believe the Lord? Oh, but that millennium. <laughs> See also Luke seventeen twenty nine and 30. The same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day and the Son of Man is revealed. If the flood takes away all the unsaved in this one day, where does the millennium come in? Only those in the ark are saved. There are no others left. Schofield has no note of this. He cannot give an honest comment for it, would ruin his teachings, such as in his note on Matthew 3, 2, the prophetic aspect of the kingdom is to be set up after the return of the king in glory. And by the way, this goes all out in line with Roman Catholicism, don't they? Because they teach about this 1,000-year reign that they will have. That, you know, then talks, you know, people say, Hitler had some unique idea about the 1,000 reign. He was just mimicking what his masters were telling him, the Jesuits, because he was a Roman Catholic. You cannot ignore any scripture and pretend honest, honesty is an interpretation. Jesus has all power. What more could be given him? He is above all now. Matthew 28, 18, Ephesians 1, 20 and 21. In Luke 19, 11 through 27, Jesus teaches by parables about his kingdom because the Jews supposed it should immediately appear, but in the verse 12, he taught them he must leave and go to a far country to receive his kingdom after that return. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. Upon his return, he would judge his servants and his enemies. The parable illustrates his judgment of his servants, good and bad, he said, but those my, but those my enemies which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. Verse 27. Oh no, some would say, we have a greater revelation. After he comes again, he is crowned king, and the kingdom is set up, and those who would not have him now see him in his glory and believe in him, and with him reign over the Gentiles for a thousand years. Now, 
that is something indeed. Isn't it amazing what can be done by just a little art of interpretation? Matthew thirteen forty seven fifteen gives a parable of the net cast in the sea in which good and bad fish are drawn in and sorted. The bad are thrown out. So shall it be at the end of the uh, aeon or age. The angels shall come forth and serve and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into the a furnace of fire and shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And this is an ignorant, ignored test, ignored text. <clears throat> and some prefer to teach the opposite. In Psalm 110.1, Jehovah the Father says to the Son, David's Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. And first, C.H., that uh, Chronicles, I think it is, 29, 23, we see David's throne. Thy, then Salem, Salom, sat on the throne of the Lord, i.e. of Jehovah, as king instead of David, his father. The same throne, not a make-do, nor a special throne, just for Jesus, but the throne of Jehovah in each case. Now Jesus sits upon it in heaven. It is God's throne and kingdom. God has promised that Jesus would be there forever. First, I'm going to stop here for a second, and I'm going to check this before I keep quoting the wrong thing there, because I'm not used to seeing it that way. That's Chronicles. That's what that's First Chronicles seventeen, verse fourteen, the same throne in First Chronicles twenty eight, five, twenty nine, twenty three, and second Samuel five seven, five and sixteen is also called David's throne forever. So it is one eternal throne over one eternal kingdom of God and of Christ, which was shown on earth in type form as David's. But David in Hebrew means the beloved, or the beloved, and is the name of Christ in, I think that's Ephesians 1.6, and several prophetic references, including Ezekiel 34, 23-44, 37, 24-25, Isaiah 55, 3-4, Psalms 89, God has exalted Jesus to sit upon the throne forever. God, excuse me, Jesus took the, that throne at his resurrection. If it is forever, then why does the psalmist philosophize, uh, prophesy, excuse me, till I make thine enemies thy footstool? That is a set time, the time of the struggle with evil, the measure of this age with its gospel works and mercy for whosoever will. 
John in Revelation 1.9 calls it his kingdom and patience. Peter speaks of the time measure and its work. Its work in Acts 2 verses 29 through 36, Acts 3 verses 20 and 21. It is Second Peter's uh, 3 verses 18 through 10. David says in Psalms 110.2, Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. It is now and will end at his coming for this uh, for this session of his reign will bring every enemy into submission and that for his heavenly throne not after he comes back to earth but Definitely, definitely before. Excuse me, definitely before. First Corinthians fifteen twenty four through twenty six and verses fifteen fifty through fifty four. The early church, the reformers, Calvin, Luther, uh, Ridley, uh, Melanchthon, Melanchthon, Lexen. That's a new one for me. Uh, Arminius. Latimer, Whitfield, or excuse me, Whitefield, John, uh, Charles Wesley, Spurgeon all saw this truth. Ephesians 1, 19-23 shows the Schofield teaching utterly false. This is God's description of Christ's present exaltation described again in, I think it's Philippians 2, 9-10, and 1 Timothy 6, 15-16, and Matthew 28. 18. <clears throat> Schofield notes, SRV in 1917 and 1967 on Deuteronomy 33. It is important to see that the nation Israel has never as yet taken the land under the unconditional Abrahamic covenant, nor has it ever possessed the whole land? Answer, the unconditional physical land promised to Moses and the nation, Exodus 3, 8 and verse 17, Leviticus 18, 28, was completely fulfilled. And, uh, I think that's, this guy uses things that I haven't seen before, which doesn't say anything about him, but says something about me. So I want to make sure I know what I'm saying here. I think it's Joshua. I think, yes, Joshua 21, 43, and 45. And the Lord given unto Israel all behind which he swore to give unto their fathers. They possessed it and dwelt therein. There fail, failed not aught of any good thing which the Lord has spoken unto the house of Israel. All came to pass. The unconditional land promise to Abraham's seed was a different promise. The Apostle Paul defines this different promise in Galatians 3.16, saying God made a promise to Abraham concerning Abraham's seed, that the promise were <clears throat> to the single descendant, Jesus Christ, in whom all the nations would be blessed. 
and I believe it's Genesis 22, verses 17 through 18, the same is to Isaac, Genesis 26, 4, and to Jacob, Genesis 28, 13 through 14. Scofield very conveniently has no explanatory notes on these scriptures. Many modern Bible translations have furthered Schofield's Abrahamic covenant error by changing seed from the singular Christ to the plural descendants and thus have substituted the many physical descendants as heirs to the promises in place of one true spiritual inheritor, Jesus Christ. This is a crucial error of immense import. Paul further develops the, the meaning of this of seed to include all those who are one in the body of Christ. Galatians three twenty six or twenty nine, and Romans uh, twelve five. The promise of the land and the multiplying of the seed are fulfilled forever in the saints of the body of Christ who have do now and will occupy his kingdom in this present age. Hebrews 11, 8-16. Schofield notes 1917 1967. I believe it's Leviticus 23, 24. These trumpets shall symbols to testimony are connected with the regathering and repentance of Israel after the church and the Pentecostal period is ended. Isn't it interesting, this cherry-picking that's been going on? And I wonder how influential this has been in all the cherry-picking of scriptures that we see today. I would say dramatically. And Schofield note, SRB 1917 and 1967 on Leviticus 23-27, Last line, historically, the foundation of <clears throat> Zechariah 13 was opened to, at the crucifixion, but rejected by the Jews of that and succeeding centuries after the regathering of Israel. The foundation will be uh, efficiently, excuse me, efficaciously opened to Israel. <clears throat> Answer, Scofield speaks above <clears throat> as if were God. But Luke 13, verses 25-28 says, when once the master of the house has risen up and hath shut the door and yet begin to stand without and to knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open up to us, he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence you are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when ye shall See Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets, and the kingdoms of God. Excuse me, and the kingdom of God, and you yourselves shut out. Schofield notes, <clears throat> SRB 1917, 1967, on Luke 13:28. He has no note here. What could he say that would not contradict Jesus? Jesus also gives. The parable of the tares in the fields, in the field that shall be destroyed first at his coming, 
that the harvest at the end of the age, Matthew 13, uh, 37 through 43, 13, 47 through 50, no second chance. The end of the age will bring every person to his eternal destiny. Any doctrine that clearly contradicts a plain, clear statement of Scripture, be it prophecy or the words of Jesus, cannot be true no matter how many Scriptures are quoted in an attempt to prove otherwise and that contradict Moses' statements in Acts uh, 3, 22 and 23, Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you, of your brethren like unto me him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people god said upon god said upon a condition of your disobedience i will make jerusalem a curse to all nations of the earth jeremiah 26 4 through 8 those pinning their hopes on an earthly city will be cursed along with her. There is no salvation at all for the earthly city, as uh, Galatians 4:22 through 30 plainly teaches. The book of Revelation is a book. Did I say that poorly? A book of the book of Revelation is a book of signs and symbols. If a few verses in chapter 20 or about a thousand-year period contradicts Jesus, Paul, Paul, Peter, Paul, and Moses, something is wrong with the interpretation of the passage. Schofield is the archheretic of all church history, and his notes have influenced, in some cases, have controlled a large portion of the church thinking for this century. <clears throat> These strong words may draw blood, but the scripture warns, Cursed be he that doeth the work of the Lord deceitfully, and cursed be he that keepeth back his sword from, from blood. Jeremiah 48.10 There is much more material in Schofield's 1970 notes and more in 1967 edition, but the old heresies are still there. No poison pill is all poison, only enough to kill. Schofield, SRB, 1917 and 1967, from the introduction to the four Gospels, part one, the mind should be freed from presumptions, especially the notion that the church is the true Israel. Answer, Schofield asks you to free your mind from the truth of biblical teaching of the church and swell his false teachings. Listen to Paul in Romans 2, 28-29. For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not of the letter, whose praise is not of men but of God. See also Romans 9, uh, 6b, six, I think 6 through uh, 8, <clears throat> I guess 6b through 8. They are not all Israel which are 
of Israel, neither because they are of the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are accounted for the seed. And it says, uh, looks like Hosea 1.10, Romans 9.24-26. G. Campbell Morgan, in 1943, two years before he passed to be with the Lord, wrote to the correspondent concerning the union of Israel and the church, I am quite convinced that all the promises made to Israel are found, are, for fi- are finding and will find their perfect fulfillment in the church. It is, it is true that in time past, my exposition, I gave a definite place to Israel in the promises of God. I have now come to the conviction, as I have just said, that it is the new and spiritual Israel that is intended. A letter to Reverend H.F. Wright, New Brunswick, Victoria, from New Haven, and New Heaven and a New Earth, Archibald Hughes, Presbyterian and Reformed Press, Box 185. Nolan, New Jersey. <clears throat> Schofield note on, I'm going to skip this, uh, SRB 1917-1967, because at this point I think everybody realizes that. Uh, on Matthew 26, 18-20, the Great Commission, he gives a dissertation concerning the name of the Trinity, but nothing about the exalted authority of Christ and the command to go and teach all nations to observe whatsoever he commanded his disciples. Nothing about Christ backing them up and being with them at all days. Answer, then what does these notes amount to? They are an extensive diversion to turn your mind away from the real meaning of the passage. For Schofield is against these teachings having anything to do with the church of Jesus Christ. Look at the Great Commission. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Power here in Greek means authority. All authority is given unto me. All authority. There is no other. Go ye therefore and teach or disciple all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the world. Whatever he commanded his disciples, all nations were to be taught to keep and obey. Then he said that he would be with them to the end of the world, A literary rendering would be, I am with you all the days, even unto the end of the age. This word has come to us, and Jesus has commanded us to keep all the commandments that he gave his disciples when he was with them. Shall we send back word 
Shall we send back word to the Lord that we are not about to do so on authority of Schofield? <laughs> uh, then here's another Schofield note on introduction to Second Corinthians. This outrageous heresy has been removed from the 1967 Scope Bible. However, millions of copies of the 1917 Bible are still being used around the world, so I am including this note from page, wow, 1,230. Quote, It is evident that the re- really dangerous sect of Corinth was that which said, I am of Christ. He put the parentheses, 1 Corinthians uh, 1, verse 12, and continues, They rejected the new revelation through Paul of the doctrine of grace, grounding themselves probably on the kingdom teaching teachings of our Lord as a minister of the circumcision. Uh, Romans 15, 18, uh, seemingly oblivious, that a new dispensation had been introduced by Christ's death. This made necessary a defense of the origin and extent of Paul's apostolic authority. Answer reply to Schofield. What made it necessary? Some people said, I am of Christ, and they were wrong. Is Paul the one who has the new revelation for this dispensation? This completely rejects all the teachings of Christ and acceptance of his death. Schofield says his teaching is a minister of the circumcision had been blotted out by his death. His teaching had been kingdom teachings, which according to Schofield are postponed until his uh, hypothetical millennium they were oblivious to Paul's new revelation. See 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 17. Paul says, It is reported to me that every one of you is saying, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, I am, and I of Christ. Then he points out, he points out it was not Paul or Cephas who died for them, but Christ. Paul, Apollo, Cephas are only those who helped, but Christ is the center. Then, concluding, he says, all things are yours, whether of Paul or of Cephas, or life, death, things present, and things to come, but all are yours, and ye are Christ, and Christ is God's. First Corinthians three twenty-one to twenty-three. Paul rebukes them for some things, but he never rebukes the ones who said, "I of Christ." In that you are right, you are of Christ. Schofield is saying that Paul is the mediator of new of the new covenant. That's something I never heard of. That is a new dispensation. That the new dispensation began with Paul. That he reveals the gospel. That Jesus was 
only teaching law. Schofield makes that clear in his notes on Matthew 5, verses, 20 through, verses 2 through 20, where he claims when you look closely that Jesus taught law and that it was not our privilege or duty to keep all his words. Here we have heresy of the first water. Jesus over and over in his discourse to the disciples in the upper room emphasizes the necessity of keeping his commandments because they are the will and word of God. Scorpius says, no, put it all put it all away. This is a major heresy. This is what Paul says to withdraw yourself from. Schofield takes the death of Christ as the turning point of the dispensation, whereas Jesus took the the coming of John the Baptist as the turning point. Luke 16, 16, Satan deceives Schofield. See Hebrews 2, 1 through 4, therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, God also being bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders, which diverse miracles and gifts of Holy Ghost according to his own will. Where did the gospel begin? Which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, not by Paul, but by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. The twelve plus Paul, Paul heard him also. The source of the gospel is not Paul, as Goldsfield teaches. The gospel of grace came by our Lord Jesus Christ. The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ, we all agree that anyone who gets saved gets saved by the grace of God, forgiveness of sins, and the regenerative work of God through the Holy Spirit, and only then. But when this has taken place, it will manifest itself in obedience. Note Hebrews 5, 8 through 9. Though he were a son, yet learned his obedience through the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Now, that's clear. In 1 John 2, 4, we read, He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him.
All right, I gotta get myself back here. Yeah. That's a heavy reading, isn't it? Anybody's able to follow this? It's because God is guiding you, that's <laughs> for sure. Because it's somebody who really wants to know some truth. All right, let's go through your notes. On Matthew 5.17, Christ's relation to the law of Moses may be thus summarized. Uh, first, Christ was made under the law. Two, he lived in perfect obedience to the law. And three, he was minister of the law to Jews, clearing it from rabbinical sophistries, enforcing it in all its pitless Severities upon those who professed to obey it. That sounds like something straight out of Jesus. Answer. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, for his commandments are not grievous. First John 5, 3. Even the Ten Commandments could not be called grievous, that a person should be true to God and not depart to idols. That was not grievous, and that one should honor God and not take his name in vain. Was that a painful commandment, or to honor thy father and thy mother, or keep the Sabbath day of rest, to refrain from lying about your neighbor, or not to commit adultery, or not to covet things that were not his own, are these things uh, pitiless? Scoffle speaks as if they are. He speaks of Christ as being a minister of the law to the Jews, clearing it from the rabbinical sophistries and enforcing it in all its pitiless, pitiless severity. My Bible says the law was added because of sin, but grace did much more abound. John 8, 1 through 11. I don't see anything pitiless about God dealing with the Jews. Certainly, there is none in the Sermon of the Mount. Schofield's note on John fourteen six. Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father. But by me, Scofus has no note to uh, John 14.6. And Scofus denies John 14.6 elsewhere by teaching that Israel is still God's people, walking with the Father, but at Christ's second coming, they will then accept Christ. Uh, this is John, 1 John 2.22-23. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is Christ. He is an antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son hath not the Father. See also First John uh, 4, 1 through 6. Let's go a few notes. 
on Matthew 13, uh, verse 47, last line. He is the Redeemer of all ages, but especially his hidden Israel, yet to be restored and blessed. Schofield notes on Revelation 3.21 and 2 Samuel 7.16, these notes advocate that we are not to assume the throne of his father David is synonymous with my father's throne or the house of Jacob is the church composed of both Jews and Gentiles. Answer See Luke 1, 32-33, He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, the Lord God, and shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his, his kingdom there shall be no end. One throne forever, all others are destroyed. Acts 3, 22-23 describes the house of Jacob. Schofield Romans and Schofield notes on Romans four, two through six. Paul speaks of that which justifies man before God, faith alone, wholly apart from works. Answer false. For works of obedience are the fruits of faith. James two fourteen through twenty eight. First Corinthians nine twenty five. Schofield. Notes on Acts seven thirty eight. Israel is. Israel in the land is never called a church. And then he says, a better translation would be the congregation. Answer, he is against the church being in the Old Testament. See, first uh, Chronicles, I believe it is, uh, 28, 8, 29, 1, and 10, and 20, Deuteronomy 23, 1-8, Israel, the Church of God, Acts 7, 38, Church in the Wilderness. And this is Ecclesia, Ecclesia, in Greek, is Church, and that's E-K-K-L-E-S-I-A. This appears over 80 times in the Old Testament, uh, Quahal, Q-A-H-A-L, Hebrew for church, appears 133 times, and is translated congregation, Eda, a synonym for Quahal, appears over 120 times. The Old Testament church was a type of New Testament church, Deuteronomy 23, 1-8, Hebrews 9, 7 through 10, 15, 20, and 23. Uh, CF, uh, Exodus 24, 4 through 8. All are now New Testament. Hebrew 12, 22 through 24. Ephesians 12, uh, 2, 11 through 22. Quahal equals church. And uh, this is Salkinson's. Hebrew New Testament congregation is not merely a better translation. It is synonymous with church. It is the church in the land. Oh boy, how I'm growing and learning from when I first started this show. 
makes me wonder how where will I be in a year? If I just keep it up. God give me the strength and the ability. Schofield notes on first I think it is uh, Colossians 14.1. Tongues and signs, gifts are to cease. Meantime, they are to be used with restraint. Answer, Schofield's spin has prohibitions to cease. Out of thine air, nowhere do the apostles who gave us instructions for this age call for a seizing of the gifts of the Spirit. Wherefore, brethren, covet the, uh, to prophecy and forbid not to speak with tongues. First, uh, current, uh, Colossians 14.39 God set ministry gifts in the church. I wish I would see that. I've never seen that in my life ever. I've never seen anything like it. Is it so dead that it's really, literally that dead? You can't even see the stuff anymore. I know people say they do, and they—I've been with people saying, insisting that it was happening, and I was right there, and I never saw anything. So, um, apostles, prophets, gifts for healing, help, for governor, governments, and diversities of tongues. These gifts of spirit were to empower the church to carry out the great commission. Maybe that's why, because we pretty much failed it. They don't even know the Bible anymore, it looks like. Leonard uh, Darby makes a thought-provoking comment in Tongues, the Dynamite of God. Unlike ancient Israel, the church no longer kills the prophets, it simply ignores them. (laughs) It is not so much the neglect of the fruits, but rather the contempt of the gifts that hamstring the church of our day. Does God go to great lengths describing the gifts of the Spirit of which he would not have us ignore, line them up like nine pins, and then with love for a bowling ball do away with them? Question mark. We are to desire the spiritual gifts. Well, I would love to. Love to see it. Love to have it. Definitely. Three chapters, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, give instructions for the church about the values and use of the gifts of the Spirit. Schofield's note on Matthew 5, 2 through 12, and needless to say, SRB 1917 was also removed from the 1967 Bible. For these reasons, the Sermon on the Mount is, in its primary application, gives neither the privilege nor duty of the church. These are found only in the epistles. Schofield explains that these words mean very little to you. They are reserved for the future kingdom. Answer. That is rank heresy. Jesus says you will not get into the kingdom of heaven unless you are busy keeping his words. 
first, uh, I think it's Timothy, um, 6, 3 through 5 says, If any man teach otherwise, consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine according to the godliness, that believe me in the Sermon of the Mount, he is proud, knowing nothing but dotting about questions and strife of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railing, evil, surmisings, perverse disputings by men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth. For such withdraw yourself, Scofield calls Jesus our Lord, but says it is not our your duty or privilege to keep his sayings. And we're just about done here, folks. Peter quotes Moses in Acts 3, 22-23, as he has told the people of Israel to repent and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. <clears throat> and it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear the, that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Peter's preaching is quite different uh, different front I think it's supposed to be from Schofield's notes which one which one is the heretic okay and that's the end of this one I know that was kind of ch a very challenging one to listen to but I hope you got something out of it. I know I think I got quite a few things out of it, but there's so much right there. It's like, oh. But you can see the biggest thing is, what the big, not the biggest, but one of the big things is, is this whole thing about Israel, that we are the church, those who have had faith in Jesus Christ and keep the commandments. We are the church. We are Israel. And what you see over there, a land called Israel, is a blasphemy. It's against the Word of God. There's nothing. There's nothing over there going on. It's the Word of God. Even those, uh, the true Jews, you know, the Orthodox Jews, all say that. Even they say that. And they're deniers of Daniel's 70th week and Daniel 9. So, a lot of food for thought. Hopefully you get something out of it. A lot of information in an hour and a half, I understand. And we're probably do the third half tomorrow. Um it was just the third half is final word and Daniel's seventieth week. And the real Israel. And what else is there? Okay, there's um, uh, 
There's no way I'm going to get this done, am I? In three episodes. Origin of Schofield's Heresies. And what else? Uh, yeah, that's quite a bit, quite a bit of information right there. So, I uh, hope you get something out of it. I'll do part three tomorrow. I am so happy I'm free to do this stuff. I don't have to be constrained by other things, other obligations. I am looking forward to this Sabbath. I am. This, uh, for me right now, this is resting in the Lord and um, studying scriptures, which we have, comparing truth with error and it's one of those things, you know, I, I enjoy it. I'm getting something out of it. So, We'll do that tomorrow. Maybe we can read some scriptures, too, while we're at it. Maybe do a show of scriptures. I don't know. I hope you realize that these shows, what they're all, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, it's, you know, it's called Nothing But The Truth. It's my journey to find it. And while I'm going about finding it, I'm sharing my journey with you. So I hope that those who download these shows and listen to them, that you realize what it's all about. I am not your superior, I'm not your authority, I'm not smarter than you, I'm nothing to that. I'm just trying to figure things out as I go. And it's fascinating because um, the way this show has started out and the people that have been on it and how things have changed and how people have been, you know, have left. Uh, you know, I've had some weird things happen to me. But, you know, it's my pursuit of the truth. It's not my pursuit my pursuit to persuade you of anything. Except the fact that I hope you realize I'm trying to find it. I'm trying to look for it. I believe it's in Jesus Christ. I believe in Jesus Christ is the way of truth and life. And there's a lot of garbage that's been put in my head throughout the years. And there's a lot of garbage just recently. And, um, So anyways, it's, you know, a lot of it's unlearning stuff, a lot of it's learning stuff for the first time in God's Word. Really understanding the Bible for the first time. Um, really embracing, trying to learn and embrace the simple truths that, he have, that are there. Uh, oh, I'm enjoying it, so. Who knows? Maybe I'll do another recording in a half hour, and it's you know, I got nothing else better to do. But the problem is, it's almost it's it's one in the morning. So, but uh, I almost it's like therapy for me, you know, all the things I've been going through, in and out of the hospital for the last couple of weeks, all like that physical torment and hell I've been going through with this multiple sclerosis and. Uh, trying to take care of my son and barely be there for him or my mom. There's been a lot of burden on everybody, so 
I hope God rewards me with um, not only internal internal salvation, but um, a way to be there for my son, to be a father, to be a provider. Right now, it's very challenging for me, so with the health issues, but and MS is one of those things too because you can like you, if you met me and uh, when I'm looking halfway decent and I shave and take care of myself, you say, you, you look perfectly fine. You might even accuse me of being handsome, but um, that's the way MS is. It's it's an inside job with that. So got plaque on and your uh, spine and your and your your brain and it's called the myelin sheet and it just shoots really weird signals. And one moment you're okay, the next moment you're not. Like earlier today, I was trying to read this and I I, I had a, I tried, but I just, I could not read the words. <laughs> And, of course, anybody who's listened to me so far knows that I struggle with the words anyways. I'm always going to. It's always going to be an issue for me because my tongue just does not want to do it. And what I see in my head and what comes out of my mouth are two different things. And that's why I struggle, especially with words that are multi-syllable. <laughs> but eventually I figure it out. <clears throat> no way to say it, but... Um, it was really bad earlier today, so and uh and the print and the size and all that, I mean it's almost like I need to get a bigger, bigger maybe my eyes are just getting bad too. Anyways, God bless. Take care, everybody, anybody who listens to this, the the very few of you yeah, pass it on to somebody else, let somebody else know about this. And the name of it is called Analyze the Schofield. And once again, um, it's a book. So, a small pamphlet. It's a big pamphlet, I guess. Check it out. All right. Oh, I hope this got recorded. This saying it won't stop. Oh, this is bad news. I spent all that time doing it. This is bad news. Okay. up on me. Okay. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.